Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. If I sound a little different, it's because I'm in the studio with my good friend Eric Thompson. We'll be talking a lot about chucker hunting, ugly dogs, some puppy development stuff uh, near and dear to his heart. And then we're going to talk about some of the places we go and why we go there. Some hunting advice, tips, hard-won wisdom from the field. It's all coming up here on the Upland Nation podcast. We'll also hit the Upland Glossary, letter V, and our public access suggestion heads down to the southwest. So if you're interested in looking for a warm place to go this winter, we might have an idea for you here. Sticking around home these days, trying to get into basic training with Flick. Yeah, he's five now, but no harm done if we start working on stop to flush again. All sorts of fundamental basic woe commands that will pay off again, hopefully, if he remembers this stuff in the field. He's getting a little sloppy on some of that. He's not roading in on pointed birds no more. No more. Thank goodness I'm knocking wood on that. But he is, uh, you know, a little bit less inclined to uh, stop when he sees a bird or when he hears a bird. So we're working a lot of that these days, and it seems to be paying off. How about you? I know a lot of people are working on bits of steadiness here and there, and a lot of you are working on retrieving <clears throat> the angst over, um, you know, do I work on the real force fetch, you know, with the ear pinch or the toe pinch or something like that. And I feel your, pardon the pun, pain. But there are other ways to do that. Uh, maybe not quite as effective, but there are other ways. In fact, got enough comments about that, questions about that, that I put together a little article that's at findbirdhuntingspots.com right now on kind of some of the, what I'll call the more gentle alternatives to a force fetch. So if you're agonizing over that aspect of your dog training, take a look at the findbirdhuntingspots.com blog. Well, we got a lot going on. Eric is in the studio getting geared up as we speak. So let me remind you that we are made possible thanks to the investments that folks like Roughland Performance Kennels have made in this broadcast, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and Ringneck Nation, Huron, South Dakota. I'll see you there for our FurFeathersFriends.com event. Well, if you listened last week, you know, Ruth Weiss and I, Navda Judge, pro trainer and avid hunter we talked a lot about hunting in arizona and it reminded me of a jackson brown song yeah he was the principal writer on uh take it easy uh the eagles get a lot of credit for it but jackson still gets the royalty every time they perform it so he's he's not having a problem with that um reminded of winslow arizona uh and where he was standing on the corner and it reminds me again of a place that i love that i got to get back to someday the Apache Sitgraves National Forest, just south of town there. Southeast of Flagstaff, there's 2.76 million acres that you can call home this hunting season. 
gambles quail all over the desert washes in the scrub brush there. The scaled quail are in the arroyos and the bunch grass at lower elevations. And the Mearns quail are up in the scrub oak that uh, uh, Ruth and I talked about, even over into the Cibola National Forest next door. So just uh, head that way, get one of the paper maps, look for the green patches on the National Forest map and go hunting. Remember, that land, like so much of it, is our land. Quick reminder, hey, did you hear my, my book is out again, third printing, this time in paper book, paper book, <laughs> which ought to be a word if it's not already. This time in paperback, got a new title. So if you already own What the Dogs Taught Me, don't buy another one unless you want to give it away. Or if you do, go right ahead. I'll be glad to take the royalty on that. It's now called Training and Hunting Bird Dogs. It's in paperback, and you can get it anywhere books are sold, including, you know, that big dot-com where you can buy virtually anything. And um, if you're looking to buy a new shotgun, you might want to take a look at LegacySports.com slash pointer. I talked a little bit about youth guns last week. Let's talk about some of the field guns. You know, you know, I'm I'm not a gun snob. I, I shoot a lot of guns that are quote affordable and and legacy sports pointer shotguns fit right into that category. There's a, a reason they call them a work of art at a price that's a thing of beauty. It's so true. So if you're looking for your first over and under, for example. Uh, you can't find a better value and you can't find better fit and finish in a gun that you can buy for 650 bucks or thereabouts. Do some shopping at LegacySports.com slash pointer and see what I mean. All right, so here we are in the studio with me right now, my friend Eric Thompson. You know, I was going to say hunting buddy, but we haven't hunted. We talk about it. We train together. We're in the same NAVDA chapter, but we never go hunting. Anyway, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm glad we could do it. You've been traveling so much. You used to live right here, and now you don't. You live over there, and soon you're going to live over there. And good luck on all of that. Uh, everybody who finds out where you're living is going to be jealous. But um, when you, you've been out in Montana recently, on I... top of all that other stuff you were doing, What's the sharp tail population look like? Honestly, I did not see any. Yeah, well, I, what, were you look? Were you I, in the right place, and were you looking? Now, let me tell you, I don't care where I'm driving. Yeah, I'm always looking. Of course, I don't care where I'm stopping. Yeah, I'm always looking. Yeah, but I can tell you that uh, I did stumble on other bird populations that were just nice and healthy and. I'm looking forward to Same getting here. back. Yeah, and speaking of that neighborhood where you're going to be, I just talked to one of my friends at uh, Meat Eater who gives me real good reports on the sharp tails over there. So Montana is on my short list for this year. We're going in mid-September. Um, I'll be there. I'll see you there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just... Roughly, let's start with your background, because in a lot of ways we share a lot of background. Um, tell me how you got involved in, in the outdoor world. Uh, everybody knows my uh, story of I was born into it. Yeah. I was one of those lucky souls that yeah. woke up, opened my eyes, and I was hunting. Wow. I was hunting, I was fishing. I had older brothers, uh -huh. so I was a baby by the closest one is eight years. And they took me everywhere. 
they backpacked me and they carried me across creeks, uh, carried me in boats, piled me with coats, did all kinds of things just to make sure I was out there and got exposed wow. to it. And it was the best youth time ever. You know, you know, you've heard this, I'm sure. You're one lucky SOB. I am. Some of us had to wait until we were 30 years old to find out about this stuff. And that's why I'm always so excited whenever anybody says, well, I have a bird dog. I think about hunting. I'm like, come on, let's go. Yeah. Because I want everybody to experience the joy that I have had for the past 51 years. Yeah, you're a, you're an evangelist, as am I, and and others that we 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 share mutual friends, of course, in many respects. Uh, but do you see that in general out there? I mean, are enough people doing enough to bring people into the outdoors? I see people doing some really good work. Yeah to get people into the outdoors, people who are very helpful. I also see the people who are saying, oh no, that's my spot, I don't wanna, I don't want more people out there. But what they don't understand is in this world that I grew up in, it wasn't, uh, it's my spot, I don't want everybody to be out there. It was, we practically shut down school to go deer hunting because half the kids left. And so all these people in a smaller community were hunting. We had less people, we had two million people in the state. It seemed like half of them were going hunting. Now we have more people, we have less people out hunting, but everybody thinks that there's just a ton of people out there walking on their ground, but there's a lot of new ground that people just aren't getting to because they're not exploring. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about exploring and all of that. What was, what was the key thing that maybe pushed you over the edge to the bird hunting and the bird dog world? Oh, just, I mean, I had some great dogs through the years, yeah. And and so you started as a kid with dogs. I started, I've never had a time in my life where I didn't have dogs. My family had dogs. We had Britneys. We had Labs. My family's a big Lab family. Everybody loves Labs. I've slowly broken them (laughs) a little bit now. My brother has a a wire hair. My brother-in-law has a Griff. And my nephew still has a couple of Labs. But... We have just been, they had been a lab family for all of my life. And I was like, I'm not getting a lab. I had a golden retriever. It was a great duck dog. She was just so fun right around in the front of my car with me. Had a German short hair who was my drop dead dog. If anybody's heard any stories, me saying anything, he is my dog that just sucked me back into bird hunting. He was unbreakable. He was just the best. Accidentally bought a really great dog out of super field trial lines that I didn't even know anything about. The education I've given myself now, I was just like, oh my God, what a good dog I bought yeah. on accident. You're, uh, you know, we're all lucky at, at the dog game at one point or another if we just go through enough of them, I think. And I think I'm on my dog like that right now, nice. which is, I'm grateful for every day and I brag on Flick. Uh, too much on the podcast and uh, again on TV real soon. But uh, what is it about the, because you love, I mean, you unabashedly love bird hunting. What is it for you? It's that sense of freedom. Yeah. Most of the birds I hunt, I've hunted grouse. I love hunting grouse. It's a fun time. I love getting with my buddies. I've hunted them in the North Woods. It's been just an awesome time walking through the muck and the mud and crossing creeks. 
But most of the birds I hunt are open field birds. I like getting out in those open fields. I like walking forever. I like putting down the miles. I like watching my dog from a distance. There's nothing more beautiful than coming over a little hill and seeing your dog locked up on point and you know those birds are there. They're right there. This is where I'm going. My dog has done her job. She is just amazing. I also talk hex up on everything I talk about because you know I love hex. You know, it's funny, I'm the same way. I was, uh, number one, born 100 years too late. I should have lived in the Old West. Number two, born in the wrong part of the country, but now we're both kind of here for that very reason, I think, to a great degree. I mean, we live, especially during the fall, in a gigantic amphitheater. We can see the act no matter where we are. Definitely. And... Some of the other places where I hunt and the mountains in the the mountains in the distance, the dog in the foreground, me. It gives me such a pleasure. It it hits those dopamine Isn't that dispensers. True? It's right there. That's I could do that all day. You um you know the mountain I'm speaking of. It's way over there and it's five thousand feet off the ground and it's a it's the largest fault block mountain in the United States. Every one of my wire hairs, uh, I've shot a portrait of him with that in the background. Just to remind me of the, uh, just to give you some perspective, give everybody some idea of why we go out there. The absolute beauty that people are missing. They think, oh, it's southeastern. Oh. Yeah, well, we can go that far. Yeah. <laughs> it's just out there in the desert. Yeah. And I'm like, you, just, you really don't know until you get out there. And actually, that's where I put up my first sage grouse. Well, yeah. not, and yeah. that uh, German shorter I had, yeah. we are just out there playing around, and yeah. he locks up, and I'm like, what are you locked up on? Uh, a couple of sage grouse. That's how I put up my last sage grouse, <laughs> about 14 miles that way. And you know that ridge I'm talking about, just the other side of it. Yeah. We were just running around out there, and I couldn't find him because he was on point. Because... <laughs> That unit is not open for sage grouse. Yes. <laughs> oh my, hey, can you hear me now? Um, what are you running these days? And start bragging on that young dog. I have been running griffs for the last 10 years now. And my two older ones have retired. One due to knee injuries. One due to just, it's just aging quickly. Yeah. And Got a little senile. We lost him one time oh, last man. season. Oh, boy. It was not fun. Really? Yeah, I was out there chasing him for a good hour and a half. Yeah. So he's kind of retired. I'll take him out when I'm close working. But outside of that, I have uh, Hex, Yeah. which is my five-year-old now. So she's What's five. Exactly five. Yeah, they were puppies together. They we did it to together. Because uh, he's still intact. <laughs> <laughs> And she has just been an absolute wonder. And people always ask me about dogs and getting dogs. And my first advice, and I know not a lot of people don't agree with me, but my first advice is be leery of a dog. You can get one right away. Yeah. And she took me two years. Wow. There was a missed breeding. Well, it wasn't missed, just didn't take. Yeah. And then the next year, it took, and my breeder was like, I know exactly what you want. You've described to me the dog you want. Yeah. I want a 
griffs aren't known for running out and running far and yeah. how they they're more known they're known for being more of a close working dog and i'm like no i want to hunt chucker i want a dog that can get up and go and neither here nor there she's like i got the dog for you wow. she's like i this dog i cannot keep her in the whelping box she is just fire she's gone every time i turn around and hex has just been absolutely phenomenal wire hair pointing griffon looks a lot like a wire hair she does uh, everybody gets confused yes um what was the highlight of your season with her last year oh there were so many uh you know that hunting with your buddies is always great but I did some exploration down in uh, Montana. Yeah. And I found some of those elusive chuckers that they have there. That's a rumor to me. And, <laughs> they said the same about Wyoming, and I found them there. And <laughs> they, uh, it was fun because I not only had her, but I had my brother's nine month old wire. And I got these two dogs out there. In, where we're at is also in grizzly bear country. So that was super fun too. Uh, and we're just out there exploring, just up, down, up, down, up, down, and they come over the top of the hill and there's that beautiful shot. Her on a point, just locked up. And Sky really wasn't knowing what was going on. She's kind of running around out there, but she didn't blow the birds. We got up there, got a couple of birds. It was a great run, because I was waiting for my buddies to get yeah. there. Oh yeah. They hadn't made it in yet. and. Then on the second day, when we were going up to meet in, uh, when I texted you about the restaurant from yeah, Lewistown, yeah, yeah. I was going up to meet my buddy Doug, and we just pulled off the side of the road. I'm like, you know what? That looks like some really good sharp tail country. For four hours, me and the two dogs chased sharp tails. We put up so many sharp tails, and it's just me, yeah. me and the dogs wandering. You know, I, I, that's a good Facebook question. I'm going to ask that. What was the, the best solo you and a dog experience? Because I find those to be the peak experiences in my hunting year as well. I'll tell you a funny grizzly bear story. So I'm out there in another place near that place you were in, but not close enough to it. And uh, I'm walking around. At the time, I was doing a radio show for Field and Stream and another one for Outdoor Life magazine. And I'm walking around out there, and I'm thinking, you know, I've been here before. I see that terrain feature, and it's kind of unique. And then I'm looking over there, and there's the other one. And I realize, I read about this place. And I read about it in a story where a guy's short hair came screaming out of the brush right there with a grizzly on his tail. The guy got both barrels emptied into that bear. The bear died on the guy, bent the barrel. So I called the writer because he'd been on the show a few times. I said, where was that? He said, right here. And I said, geez, I'm never going back there again. <laughs> but don't let that stop the rest of you. Feel free to go there and, and clear out the grizzly population for us. Well, the plan was we were going to let those two barrels wait until he was really close. Yes. Yes, indeed. But uh, best single hunt, I would say me and Hex on the John Day. Yeah. We had just a phenomenal day. Mixed bag. Yeah. So we were knocking down chuckers. We were knocking down huns. Just beautiful retrieves. 
beautiful points, beautiful retrieves. The informal survey I'm doing this year, where the last couple seasons, the best Hungarian partridge populations you've seen in a while. Yeah. I've seen more Huns in the last two years. What happened? But no matter where I've been, at least personally, I've seen more Hungarian partridge than ever. And I've seen them in chucker country, Mm -hmm. valley quail country, sharp-tail country, and even over there in South Dakota, in pheasant country. I don't know what to... I'm, I'm grateful, ever grateful. Whoever makes those decisions, I'm glad for. But it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it was, I absolutely love huns. They're one of my favorite birds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, best eating bird I've ever had. Hang them for five days. Then you can put them in the freezer. I've been hanging everything for the last two years. The key is how long? I usually go three to five days. Is it longer for bigger birds, or do you care? Uh, I have not. Uh It hasn't been a big difference. It's like, okay, we're on the third day. I need to start taking care of this. Yeah. So at that third day, I start thinking about it. Maybe the fourth day, maybe the fifth day. Uh, Yeah. yeah. But everything has been wonderful. Um, Gutted or not gutted? Not gutted. Just hang. And by hanging... Not maybe not literally. You could of course do that, but in a fridge. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We got that fridge going on. We're not just leaving it out there yeah. and yeah. the varying heat. What about if you want to pluck that bird? Does it matter? It hasn't. Oh. No, I haven't had an issue with it. Uh, my biggest issues with plucking because I've started plucking everything too. Yeah. It was yeah. just a, such a game changer. Uh, is just entry holes. Keep working around those, trying yeah. to keep them. Keep them closed. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite recipe for a game bird? Oh, I made a nice casserole that was not mine. So I had it when I was at Andrew's house one night, (laughs) and he made it. And he was like, it needs a little something else. Maybe a little cream base would go through it. Of course. And so <laughs> I kind of remade it from memory yeah. and added a little cream. So it was a sharp-tailed pheasant. Uh, and I had chucker, sharp-tailed pheasant, chucker casserole, yeah. rice. It was broccoli. It was so good. Is it? Absolutely delicious. Some, someday I'll, I'll, I'll ask for simple game bird recipes because everybody's scared of that stuff. And so the can of mushroom soup comes out and the crock pot, and that's, <laughs> that's as far as it goes. But uh, I think there's so many things you could do. And you don't have to get fancy. In fact, the discipline is, can you do it in four ingredients or something like that? I think that'd be fun. See where the crock pot drops out for me? Yeah. Chucker legs. Yeah? Chucker legs, pheasant legs, anything like that. Yeah. I drop out the crock pot, yeah. we'll put a little stock in there, yep. just let it fall out. And then what I like to do is a little coriander uh, and some taco seasoning. Yeah. Let it set till everything's fallen off the bone. Take it out, give it a quick crisping. Yeah. And street tacos it is. That's yeah. my go-to. Yeah, I would do that in a minute. I, and I do the same thing with the legs and thighs. I put it in the fridge overnight afterwards, then I pick it all off, and then I make tuna salad out of it. It's way better than fish. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's get back to hunting, though, but uh, because I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so eager to talk with you about those places we both go. What, what, what is the biggest challenge for you, chucker hunting? Uh, since I live in the valley now, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, getting there. Time, yeah. When I was living in Central Oregon, it was time, but it was doable time. Yeah, and it didn't seem so hard. That extra two and a half hours just is a real drag it's not a weekend anymore it's, no it's got to be a long weekend doesn't it yeah yeah although i know people uh from here who will do it in a day they'll drive all the way out hunt and drive all the way back That's i've done it i've fun. done it yeah <laughs> but what about the birds themselves i mean um i'm always mad at them because they run faster than me when they're going uphill and you know my training regiment is just a nice normal person's training regiment to try to get some cardiovascular yeah. health and everything it's never good enough i need to i need to start practicing for marathons because by the time i the hex's favorite place to go on point is 200 yards uphill yeah. and by the time i get there i'm sucking away well aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> that's the best reason to have a dog that's steady yeah <laughs> and i've had that happen i was out uh, we were hunting Probably the only intentional Hungarian partridge hunt I did last year. Thanks, to, thanks, Felton, by the way, for showing me that spot. And I've never given it away because it was shown to me. That's one of the rules. Um, but, you know, you look at your GPS and it says 294 yards and he's on point. Oh, I'm looking uphill now <laughs> while I do that. But he helped. Everything, the, everything worked right. And we both got shots, and they were controlled shots, so I, I got lucky. But, you know, you spend all year working on steadiness just so that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. unless they run off. Yeah. Can't train for that. Oh, you can't. And that's why sometimes during season I'm yeah. not too much of a stickler, because my dog needs to know how to manage birds. Well, I, I know what you mean. One of the... Well, in fact, she was such a great Drotar trainer, they'd bring her to Germany to judge their field trials. And she once said to me, because we did some TV shows out there, and she, I said, you know, those dogs know, know when to hold them and when to fold them. And if we were hunting Huns, in fact, in sunflowers. And she said, those dogs have learned their principal job is to put birds in the air for the gun. Sometimes it means hold them still. Sometimes it means pushing them into the air. I've been as tolerant as I can be with Flick, but I still want a little bit tighter steadiness when I can get it. But when you talk about that, what, what do you mean? Um, does your dog, you want your dog to follow a running bird, or do you want him to head him off at the pass, or what? Best case scenario is heading him off at the pass. Yeah. So German, hair, Schreier, uh, German wire hair yeah. I talked about absolutely golden yeah he would get on a running bird and just oh, nope this were birds running out and around yeah throw a block on him you'd come up there that bird was always there i i had a talk well it was with ruth weiss just last week in the after judge you might have met ruth when she was out here. i just saw her. ruth last yeah. week oh, yeah. in montana <laughs> i was uh i stopped by the montana oh, testing my. On my way down uh, That's south. So funny. Yeah. Small damn world. It really is. 
So anyway, we were talking about it, and I, and I asked her, and she said she, th she thinks the dogs have to learn that, um, that we can't teach that. I, I agree. Yeah. It's something, you know, we haven't really hunted a ton of pheasants, so Hex wasn't super familiar with pheasants. Our pheasant experience have been on our trips to Montana, and a couple of years it's been not very good pheasant hunting. Well, this last year, we hit some birds, and... All the dogs got birdie. All the dogs were fairly young. Uh, and I'm like, that bird's running. Yeah. Everybody's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, look at the dog. That bird's running. Yeah. And after a couple of them, I'm thinking she's starting to get it. And I think this season she'll be a lot better with those running birds. Because yeah. that bird ran down to the end of the fence row. And while we were debating whether the bird was running, yeah. out he goes. Usually that happens when I'm talking to the camera, saying, isn't that a beautiful point? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I bring someone else along who also carries a shotgun. But, uh, you, you know, it's, I just don't know, and I hear this all the time in South Dakota. Well, well, that's where all the pheasants are, of course, so everybody there wants a dog that's going to do that. And, and some of them do, and some of them never figure it out, so here we are. Um, hold that thought. I'm going to take a moment to uh, pay the bills, and we'll carry on from there because we're uh, we got a lot more to talk about. Every time you open your mouth, I want to ask you another question. <laughs> Let me remind you all that we are brought to you in part by SageAndBreaker.com. Always free shipping at SageAndBreaker.com. You want to take care of your guns? Fred Bohm and his crew have everything you need. And if it's a chemical of one sort or another for cleaning or maintaining, they've got all sorts of choices. They have the CLP, that's a spray-on for virtually any aspect of the metal pieces of your gun. They have firearms grease for all of the really high friction areas of your gun. I don't even guess anymore, I'm not a gunsmith, but you know, there's places where you want that. And then that bore cleaning kit, it's a no-brainer. It's the boar snake concept, but it's taken to the ultimate. It's got a little brass brush you can put on or take off. Just pull it once through each bore, and it is shiny clean. Sageandbreaker.com. Sign up for the mailing list, and you won't miss any of the sales. Because I bet you'll have another one next Father's Day. And... Our good friends, who I'll be visiting with in T, South Dakota this year, Roughland Kennels. If you haven't got a roto-molded dog crate yet, well, it's not too late. In fact, go to the folks who invented the category. Roughland Kennels were the first and still, you know, more dogs ride in a Roughland Kennel than any other roto-molded dog kennel in the world. Learn more about them at RoughlandKennels.com. And remember, Rough is spelled like Flick would say it. R-U-F-F. RoughlandKennels.com. Thanks, Eric Thompson, for putting up with my commercial announcements. Because without them, we wouldn't be here today. Eric Thompson, uh, you've been around and about, you've been hunting here and hunting there. When you started out as a kid, where were you hunting and fishing the most? In the valley. This valley? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. We were, I was born in the Willamette Valley. That's where I started oh. 
my waterfowl career, my upland career. Uh, deer hunting career, I actually started in Eastern Oregon, but yeah. deer and elk, we would hunt Eastern Oregon. Uh, everything else, we hunted the Willamette Valley. Yeah. It was a paradise. It was. You know, you're younger than me, but we both remember the good old days. Yes, we which do. Which scares me. <laughs> and to a great degree, the good old days are still right here, everything being relative. Um, what, what was it... What was the first thing you shot at? Uh, the first thing I shot at were ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting in the blind, I had a little 12 gauge, yeah. and I don't know if I hit anything, yeah. but I sure shot at them. Okay. And who was your mentor? Was it your brothers? Yeah. My oldest brother, yeah. uh, Bob, he just took me under his wing, and he never looked back. He's always there with me. He's going to be on the one big game hunt we drew this year. He's oh. going to be right there with me. Nice. You know, because this whole concept is near. I was doing R3 before there was a term for it. Um, but why do you think he was so willing to do that? Was it brotherly love or did he have more, uh, uh, more motivation? It was definitely uh, family motivated. Because at that point in time, we were going to kind of get a little sidetracked. There weren't a lot of black people in the valley. Yeah. So he wanted to make sure that I got exposed to things that I might not get exposed through, yeah. exposed to yeah. through other individuals. And as a family, we were very close because of that. And yeah. then we expanded yeah. out our friend group as my family moved there in 64. And the friend group expanded out and out and out and it always seemed to involve hunting and fishing so every child in our family has been through hunters hunters, hunters education that is a, an absolute must because you know we have guns we have everything else to go along with it you have to go through hunters ed whether you choose to hunt that's up to you everybody's forced to hunt but everybody goes through hunters ed boy girl doesn't matter and everybody is allowed to hunt it just breaks my heart, some of the stories that I hear from women that wanted to hunt, but they weren't allowed to because that was for the men, that was for the boys. While my mom's out there out shooting my dad every year, my best friend's mom, she's a crack shot and out shoots his stepdad anytime, anywhere. And my cousins, my, my sister never hunted, but that was her choice. Yeah. Everybody had the opportunity to hunt and we had a lot of women that hunted right alongside of us. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, we, we talk about competitive shooting or fly fishing. I used to instruct fly fishing all the time. And those both, plus hunting, are areas where you don't need brute strength. And in fact, the finesse, the nuance, the, the cer cerebralness of hunting and fishing might actually advantage women. Maybe that's why men don't want them in the blind. <laughs> I, I think there's, there is an element of competitiveness there. But what would you tell other women out there who maybe haven't had the chance yet? How should they get started? Uh, they are a great group of women yeah. that are willing to help and instruct because that can be a safe place for them if they just don't feel comfortable. Hell, I am a great resource to instruct because I am willing. I take my friends out all the time. My yeah. friend Jill came out. 
She's got hunting dogs. Yeah. She doesn't hunt. Yeah. We we went out hunting, and uh, she's got a new shotgun, yeah. and we are just uh, probably going to be doing some hunting this year, and I'm more than happy to do that. I'm more than happy to encourage it. I wish my daughters loved to bird hunt. They big game hunt with me, but they don't like to bird hunt, and mm. so anybody who likes to go with me, I always say the door is open. Yeah. You just got to come along, and I'm willing to show you what I know. You know, it, 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 I barely remember, you remember it better than me, but in junior high school, or thereabouts, now they call it middle school, we took all sorts of six-week-long classes, electives. So in, you know, two or three years, you'd be exposed to electric shop, wood shop, metal shop, music, Spanish, art, who knows what else. I don't know what they're teaching these days. We had the first plastics shop in the country at my school, back when plastics were a big deal. <laughs> I think everybody, like you said, needs to be exposed to bird hunting, fishing, fly fishing, whatever. One of those is going to stick. Yeah, I totally agree. Because guess what? I've tried them all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. this one just happens to be my favorite. Yeah. And look how long it took me to get to there. Let's talk about taking people out because there are two schools of thought on that. And we, we've addressed them both. But... Yeah, because I face it every day. Hey, man, quit telling people where to go hunting. Or quit telling people to go hunting. Well, how do you counter that argument? Uh, the outdoors is for everybody. Yeah. And you don't own it. Yeah. What I teach people when I take them out is how to find birds, yeah. where to find birds. Yeah. I don't take them to the birds. Yeah. So we all know that there are certain places that everybody under the sun knows about everybody's beat that ground and i do not feel bad taking a new person there because it gives them habitat it gives them terrain it gives them everything they need and i can walk you through and show you what you need to look for so when you get out there you're not just looking in some random spot that doesn't have any birds yeah. and hopefully eventually you'll get to the point where you're like me where you're driving down the road and you're like looks like a birdie spot i'm gonna go there yeah. and nine times out of ten guess what i find yeah but even if you don't at least you know you're applying all the things you've learned to that point yes you know there's a great axiom i guess is the best term for it in fly fishing that uh, I, I lived it for the first year i caught nothing but i kept at it i had apparently nothing better to do but in fishing fishing or hunting it's the same thing the first thing you want to do is you want to catch a fish, any fish. It could be this long or it could be this long. It doesn't matter. You just want to catch. You want some success. How? What if your dog never got to retrieve a bird or even sniff a bird? What if you played baseball and you never hit a single? Why can't we help people get to hit a single? Well, and part of that is teaching the ethos, the ethics of yeah. hunting. Yeah. So as you talked about not taking anybody to your friend's spot, yeah. that's just tried and true. You're not a good friend. You're not a good hunter. If somebody shows you a spot and you take a bunch of other people there. So you want to make sure you're impressing these things on these people as you're teaching them. You're not only teaching them gun safety and ethics and etiquette and everything else that goes along with it. So that when they're out there, you're putting a hunter out there that you want to hunt with. There are people out there that 
most of the time I know if I don't want to hunt with somebody. Yeah. You've, I've been around long enough. I can see how you're acting. I don't want to hunt with you. Yeah. I don't hunt with you. But the rare one that gets through, I'll be like, no, I'm done. I'm out of here. And you want to put good people out there that other people want to hunt with. And to say that, if you take somebody to one of your good spots, next time you go out, that's why you're teaching them. So when they go the next season, they better be providing you with a spot that they've found. I agree. Quid pro quo, absolutely. The other thing is, and this you just hit on it, and it just hit me. Uh, we are, are, in a way, our own worst enemies. We, we quite often love hunting with other people, family, friends, even new, new people. I took some people out last year. They just wanted to know what hunting was about. They didn't even carry a gun. Uh, Eight-year-old. But we never give them the talk. We never say, this is how you deal with the places I'm showing you. And we never say, this is, you never do this, you always do that. Whether it's how you leave the gates, who you tell about the spots, who you, you know, be careful about how you geotag your pictures, all, all of the etiquette. We should make, that's a good Facebook post. What are all the things that we need to lecture people about before they get out of the truck? So, yeah, geotags, I check everybody's geotags before we go. Make sure uh, that you turn them off. <laughs> see, I don't, I've never turned it on, so I don't know how that works. But what are some of those other things? I mean, you hit on the, the really important ones. Uh, if somebody else shows you the spot, go ahead, but don't show anybody else the spot. What else? I mean, just leave it better than you found it. That's one of the centrals to being in the outdoors is leave it better than you found it. And you know, guys, you get a lot of guys that are complaining about uh, finding shell holes and yeah. water bottles and things out there. But have you never not been able to find a shell hole when it ejected? Could, that's why if I see one, I pick it up because I know I have also left one in the field that I couldn't find. Yeah. I've gotten back to the truck, wrenching my backpack for my water bottle, and it's gone. I'm not saying that somebody's out there throwing garbage out there. I'm just assuming that these people had these things happen to them like they happened to me. And I like to pick it up. I like to keep it clean. That is such a little thing that we can do that'll make such a big difference, not only to us, but to the habitat for the animals. No, I can't argue that at all. In fact, just the opposite. Um, in fact, more than once I've heard somebody say, you know, I do lose a shell once in a while. So I pick up two extras just in case. Yeah. <laughs> it's an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, how about finding new spots? I mean, you have a way. You just drive by and get lucky all the time. <laughs> no, you don't. You have other ways to do it as well. But, but what, are the, what are the ways that you pioneer the new spots for yourself? So once you get down what you need to know and start to look for, one of the greatest assets I have today is uh, e-scouting. Yeah. I, that's one of the great things about having my Onyx up as I was going along on this last trip. Yeah. If I couldn't, if I had to be somewhere and I couldn't get off, I can see the train, I can drop it, I can come back and e-scout it later. Yeah. My very first trip out there, I e-scouted my spots. Yeah. And just so happens that our local confirmed that those were good spots, yeah. but I had them all mapped out and ready to go because I'm like, ah, that looks like good territory. Never hunted sharp toes in my life, but I was going to get out there and give it my best try. And that's the one thing that I like to do from my platform 
is express to people that you don't have to be a professional. We see all these clean cut, well fit, great looking people out there hunting and they're doing amazing jobs. They're always on animals. You're not always gonna be on animals. Sometimes you gotta get out and you gotta work to find them. But when you find them, they're good. And obviously I am not well cut or clean cut in any way, shape or form. I'm just an average guy that He's goes- being modest. <laughs> I'm an average guy that goes out and does these things. I'm not some super, super hunter. It's just, I take the time to do something I love and anybody can do it. So get out there, get to looking. When you find the birds, Keep looking in those spaces. One of the greatest uh, lessons you can learn as a chucker hunter is whatever height you find them, that's where you hunt them. Yeah, let's go over a couple more of those. Uh, I've written about that in various ways over the years. Uh, never give up altitude. Um, I used to say they'll never be in the juniper trees. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad to hear that confirmed. Yeah, and in fact, uh, that—that's what I said to the guy who showed me where they were in the juniper Um Do they come to water all the time? No. Yeah. They don't. Uh -huh. Depends on where you're at in the season. That's one of those things that I teach people to look for when you're walking around the walk rocks. Is there a wet spot there? Is there a little spring there? What are you finding? What's what's here that's going to draw this bird in? And yeah, no, they don't always come to water. I make I make a uh, I make a an admission on every early season hunt to find water in places that you wouldn't expect it. You had a hard rain last week. Somewhere in that lava rock is an indentation about yay big, and that's enough water for a cubby. Yep. So it doesn't have to be all those traditional sources. It does. It's not a blue spot on the map. It is not. Um, Two schools of thought on uh, cheatgrass. Um, my dog breeder says it's it's an old wives' tale. Cheatgrass is good, but you can still find birds elsewhere. Have you ever done that? Uh, honestly, I found birds in bare rock. Yeah. So, cheatgrass is good. It's great to look for, um, but the birds can be just about anywhere. Have you found anything else in their crops? I have. And I forget the scientific name of it, but I believe it's uh, something goat weed. Goat weed. And it's, uh, it looks like a dandelion, big dandelion. Yes, it does. And if you find that, that's, that's like my dream plant to find. If I find that, I find chuckers. Are they eating the whole leaf or just little bits out of it? Or what do you see? They really like the... Uh, the bud. Oh. So I'm finding those buds in their crop. I'll be darned. I found grasshoppers. Yeah. I found crickets. Yeah. Um, I found later in the season, after the rains come, the, the green shoots of cheatgrass. And I don't think they're discriminatory enough to know that it's not cheatgrass. If there's a green grass shoot coming up, they're going to eat that. If it's fresh and tender, they're eating it. Bad years, really bad feed years, uh, especially in the wintertime, I'll find um, sagebrush leaves once in a while. they got to be desperate for that. Yeah, I've never found that. Yeah. What's been your, uh, describe your most arduous chucker hunt. I'll trade you stories. 
My most arduous trucker hunt, it wasn't, I don't think it was the walk, it was the frustration. <laughs> because I was in the Wahis. And, okay, well, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And every time we walked over a hill, we, there was somebody walking over the top of us. Wow. And it was very blatant that we were in that area. So, and I'm not a big fan of being walked over or walking over other people. So if I see somebody there, I'll move on to a different spot. Yeah. And once we got walked over a couple of times, I mean, we were still getting up birds. Yeah. We were putting up birds, but it was like uh, being in a grocery store to me because, you know, you're not supposed to see other people when you're out trucker hunting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I didn't get mad. I just kept moving and I moved out and found a just absolutely gorgeous spot in the yeah. wilderness that nobody else was hunting and we got more birds up out of there than how far beyond the other people did you have to walk to find that place oh well we probably drove an additional 15 miles <coughs> okay so you got back in the truck and went away we got yeah. back in the truck went away and there wasn't uh any other vehicles back there all the roads were closed off, so uh -huh. nobody was running up the roads. And that lack of roads and ability to walk down, we actually had to walk up yeah. quite a ways. But when we got up there, it was chuck or heaven. Well, good for you. Uh, and that hasn't happened to me in, in a few years, but I know the feeling when you get over, when you work, earn your way to the top, and there's some guy having a soda. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this buddy of mine who actually was the inspiration for a story that I think will be in the next edition of Upland Almanac magazine, um, said, I, I put a couple Sasquatches on the map over here. I've been driving by this place, and that's how he does it. He, he uses that icon, the Sasquatch icon. He said, Let, let's go do, let's go try that. And I said, you know, there's junipers all over the top of that. I know that hill. Uh, it, there's junipers everywhere. Yeah, but between the junipers and the, and the lake, the dry lake at the bottom, I bet there's birds. And it, it's, it, this is volcano country. Uh, for, for people who don't know it, it's basically everything out there is a either what was spit out of a volcano or was and still is a volcano. So you know that rock, I think they call it talus in the mountain climbing world. It's the big, the melon or a larger size boulders that are in vast fields. We had to go uphill on those. So the poor dogs are working their, their pads to the, to the nubs and we're doing the same thing. We get up right at the edge of the junipers and start side hilling that. And the dogs will get just far enough ahead of us to where when they point, we can't get there. You can't you can't walk fast, let alone run with a safe, unloaded, open gun to get to the birds because of all of that talus. So every single cubby got up 15 or 50 yards before we could get within gun range. Ah. Some of that, though, luckily, flew up into those junipers. And one or the other of the dogs, once in a while, would just go up there because the walking was better. That was all soil <laughs> instead of that talus. And push one down to us. And one of those times, I was in the right place when Tom was in the wrong place. 
He got the first two pass shots. Just like in, you know, you watch one of those driven shoots in England. Uh huh. He got his two. I got my two, but my two were a little bit later. I was further down the hill. I mount the gun. Immediately, my footing goes away. I land on both kneecaps oh. and pop the bird. Took me two shots, but I hit that bird shooting off my knees. Nice shot. Yes. Where's the TV camera when you need it? <laughs> exactly. So I guess that had a happy ending for a frustrating hunt. But, so you talk about those junipers? Yeah. I have a little honey hole that's not uh, too far away. Don't kill me. And that's part of what we hunt. Yeah. So we run up these first few little grassy hills and then we get into the sparse juniper where the elk like to hang out yeah and we take birds out of there i i don't i don't get it i i think they've been pushed there that's the you know I, i'm taking a vote and i think so far everybody agrees with me they got pushed there and that's their sanctuary for the moment you, you think they're living there these birds don't get pushed okay yeah we were the only people hunting this yeah. spot yeah wow well, we're deep into the weeds now, so to speak, <laughs> on chakra hunting, and I don't want to leave it at that because we're, we're trying to be a little bit more inclusive here. If you were going to uh, tell the newcomer that you're, you're driving down the road, you're talking about quid pro quo, don't give away secrets, blah, 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 don't shoot me, don't shoot the dog, did you bring blank? Did bring enough water? Water. Okay. It's chucker country. Everybody needs water. Yeah. I need water. Dogs need water. You need water. Did you bring enough water? Yeah. And uh, did you bring a snack? Yeah. Because I might not have a snack. Yeah. Uh, I don't generally take too much of a snack. I had a granola bar right around in my pack yeah. for most of the season <laughs> until the time where I was at the bottom. I had gotten down way. I'd given up altitude. And... It was, uh, was going to be a climb out, and I'm like, I'm going to eat this, like, I swear it's probably three-year-old granola bar, but it was the best granola bar in the world. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I found a protein bar last year like that. A friend of mine gives me a Hershey bar at the beginning of the season every year. I usually forget about it till the end of the year, but it's still pretty good. <laughs> How about any gear? I mean, like, I, I tether everything to my body or to my vest. Mm -hmm. Um so I'm thinking I, I got a tether for my whistle, I got a tether for my GPS handheld, I got one for, um, let's see, what else is tied up in there? Well, I guess that's about it now that I think about it. I don't carry that many, like a camera. Everything's on a line. If it's going to fall out, it's going to hang down and not get lost. But what about other gear like that? I have all that stuff tethered also. Best thing I picked up this year was after hunting with a couple of buddies uh tipo step no kidding yep and describe it some people won't know what a t-post is some people won't know why we need it all right t-post is what holds up the barbed wire out there in yep. the middle of the field yeah. and it's that's exactly what it looks like it's yeah. shaped like a t and that uh, step fits right over it yeah and you can step up there really nice and step over really easy without hanging up your clothes and tearing your pants yeah or having to crawl under and tearing your vest or your yeah. jacket shirt. It was just a lifesaver. And I'll tell you a funny story about it because I uh, had to take some medication earlier in December and it put on a few extra pounds. 
And so we were out there on the in the field, and we're getting ready to climb over a fence. And Corey had put his up there. Corey or Grant, one of them, had put theirs up there. And both of them climb over this step. Yeah. And I go to step on it, and it sinks a foot. And I'm like, <laughs> and everybody's <laughs> looking at me, and I'm like, okay, that's it. When I get home, I got to lose at least 25 pounds. And I did. <laughs> I, I would say the same thing about the first few times I hunted on horseback. I was 35 pounds heavier. You know that first step into the saddle, it's a really long step when you've got to rely on your left thigh muscle to do all the work for you. But, the, you know, it's funny. I didn't know why they were called T-posts for a long Oh, really? Time. But I did some trout unlimited habitat work on the John Day River once. Huh. And we were carrying bales of barbed wire and bales of freaking T-posts to the top of the ridge. That's if some, <laughs> some biologists thought the place to put that fence was the top of the dang ridge, not the bottom. So we had to carry all that stuff up. And I'm, I'm, I'm at one end and somebody else at the other, and I'm looking at, you gotta look at the T-post from the top, from yeah. the end. Then you get it, that's where it's T-shaped. I always thought you could look at it as a completed fence and it went whoop, whoop, no. it's. The piece of metal is T-shaped. See, that's one of those things that people take for granted when you yeah. grow up with this stuff. You're like, oh, everybody knows that yeah. until they don't. Man, if I had a nickel for every rock jack I made up on that project, oh, jeez. <laughs> um, okay, how about um, training? What's the most important thing that you think we neglect when we're training our bird dogs? Uh I would say that people just aren't putting enough birds in front of their dog. Yeah. I know people worry that their bird, their dogs are going to uh, get too used to pin birds yeah. or whatever. Don't worry about that. Put birds in front of your dog. Put as many birds out as you can in front of that dog. Because when they hit those wild birds, those wild birds are going to teach them a lesson for the first couple of years or two. Yeah, in fact, that's kind of the final exam for pen-raised birds. You know, you, uh, at some point... Dog's gonna say, yeah, there is a difference, and that means I better, I better hold up farther away from those birds. For mm -hmm. um, very valuable lesson. Um, you you were talking earlier about something I remembered. Somebody used to call that um, they would say, you you haven't got a, a rough grouse dog <laughs> until until it's had a thousand bird encounters. So you've got to get out there a lot. Yeah. Do you see your younger of the dogs uh, adjusting now? Are they still figuring? She's still figuring it out. Hex. No, she's uh, she's pretty she's pretty solid right yeah. now. I mean, honestly, not every dog's a dog. Yeah. And I will tell you, at one point last year, we had a come to Jesus conversation. Yeah. After we'd been out, this is in November. We've been to Montana, we've been to Idaho, we've been back to Eastern Oregon, we've been all over the place. She's been a rock star. And one day, she just decided, hey, yeah. guess what? This day is for me. Yeah. Woo! And I'm like, no, yeah. come here. And I literally got my dog's face. And I'm like, you got to get your stuff together here, yeah. girl. Because, yeah. Did you, uh, did you keep hunting? Uh, after that point, we just hunted our way back to the yeah. car. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can salvage it after that. It, it was just, it was really out of control and yeah. I had a day like that on pigeons not not a week ago. He went sideways and I thought, well, I could, I could just make it all up. Nope. No. no. 
just give it a rest. Go yeah. back. They they'll remember. So are you are you trained in hex? I have. Like I said, my brother's got a. So you're working on that one. I'm working on the wire hair. Yeah. I need to start working on her. My cousin actually has a six month, a four month old, uh, German short hair, that I need to. Yeah. really start getting on with her too you got pigeons um i don't have any pigeons right now because don't yeah. know when i'm going to move yeah. so i'm just getting as i go okay you got a source yeah okay uh, by the way thanks over the years you've given me lots of dead pigeons which I, <laughs> i've used the heck out of and i appreciate that you're very welcome the favor someday all right uh, once you get settled <laughs> um you know we could go on and on and on we'll do this again maybe over there in september all right, but uh, you know, you know, just to talk to somebody face to face who who shares this joy of this crazy world that we live in. What what what, what, what do you think is the thing that keeps you coming back to it? And I'll I'll share you mine too. I it's just the absolute passion for it. It's the sound of the birds. It's the sight of the dogs in the field. It's the smell of the gun smoke. It's the uh, absolute joy my dog has bringing me a bird back in her mouth yeah. I don't they there's no way you can explain that she is so happy to <laughs> bring me that bird and it just makes me so happy to take this bird from her and I am just enamored with the whole relationship that I have with my dogs and I can't wait to just let everybody experience it. I love taking my family members out who don't burn up. I love taking everybody out because it's such a joy to watch. And I love watching other people's dogs yeah. too. Yeah. So uh, just a quick note, my Ken, my buddy Ken has a dog that he picked up and he was older and Ranger had no interest in birds. And it was just a whole thing. But this last year when Ranger showed up, Ranger was definitely interested in birds. I got to see the light click on in Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he, Ken works with him, Ken's just awesome trainer. And he works with him all the time. And Ranger, I just loved watching that. I loved watching Tilly. She's Doug's dog, I think she's 10 now. And just a nice seasoned dog. Just one of the most beautiful personalities you've ever met. And she's a dog, but she's out there just having so much fun retrieving birds and bringing them back to Doug or bringing them back to me or even letting Sky steal one one yeah, time. Yeah. And she was just such a great dog. And all that interaction is so fun. And it has more to do with that than the beers we sit down and have at the end for me than anything in the world. Well, I was going to share, but I can't. Sorry. I, I can't, you're, you're a tough act to follow. <laughs> I mean, I, I would agree with all of that, absolutely. Um, that's why I got into the game, and still to this day. Hell, I wrote a book about it, um, which, by the way, everybody is now available in paperback. Uh, but it, it is all of that. And then the other thing, and, and you do it. You live it, too. You're around people you like to be around. Oh, absolutely. This... You, you have curated your circle of hunting friends, which is a... I've never used that word in that case, but that's how we pick the people we share our spots with. We curate them. And as somebody on my Facebook page said recently, thank you, whoever was, I can't remember, if I wouldn't have that person to dinner, I wouldn't go hunting with them. You've gone beyond that. You started being a mentee to a mentor who was your brother, but since then you've, you've, you've drawn the circle full, you've returned the favor, and you've refined it 
a bit, almost to an art form. Picking the right people and then helping them with the right information. I think I've enjoyed that more than anything in the last three or four years. I've made a lot of great hunting friends that were maybe acquaintances or strangers three or four years ago. Um, hopefully this year we'll be more than just a training acquaintance and we'll do something over there or over here somewhere. But Eric Thompson, we never got around to Hardwired Outdoors. Anybody wants to go listen, go go there. Hardwired Outdoor. Yeah, hardwiredoutdoors.com. Yep. And learn more about Eric there and everywhere else. And in the meanwhile, I think the lessons I'm taking away from this are keep playing with dogs, uh, be selective in your hunting partners, and on top of everything else, have a good time out there. Eric, thanks again for being part of the Upland Nation podcast. Thanks for having me, Scott. It was an absolute pleasure. Now is a chance for me to remind you that we are brought to you in part by our friends at Huron, South Dakota. Ringneck Nation is what they call themselves, and for good reason. More birds than people in Beetle County. HuntHuronSD.com is where you learn more about everything they have to offer there, including 124,000 acres of public access. You want a free information pack? They'll send you one, or you can get most of it online. Just go to Hunt here on sd.com you want all the paper copies and i i recommend you do get those especially the hunting atlas that means you can drive around even when your cell phone isn't working and find those spots on the map that you want to access get all of that and more at hunt here on sd.com and if you're still searching for the gun of your dreams, uh, don't forget that midvalleyclays.com is also a gun dealer, and they have access to a lot of the stuff that you might not find at your local gun shop or in you know, one of the uh, gun shows. Uh, these folks have a special relationship with a lot of the major manufacturers, and they can sometimes find that hard-to-find caliber slash gauge or style of shotgun that you're looking for, check them out at midvalleyclays.com. Look at their in-stock inventory and then call Dave Fiedler and tell him what you're looking for and maybe he can find it for you when nobody else can. All that starts with your visit to midvalleyclays.com. This week we're up to V in the Upland Nation glossary, and uh, one of my favorite topics is versatile breeds that a lot of people don't know about, including the Vishla. Let's start with the spelling. V-I-S-Z-L-A. It's one of the short-haired versatile breeds. This one in particular was developed in Hungary, almost lost it after World War II and the um, communist takeover of that country, but a lot of dedicated breeders both over there in the rest of Europe and then over here eventually started bringing that breed back and we're starting to see them in a lot more NAVDA tests, for example, a lot more registrations in the AKC. 
they're a kind of a, you know, think of a slightly more delicately boned short hair, but all red, kind of a brown red to me. Some of them are lighter than others. And in fact, there is now a wire haired version that is uh, more blonde than red, uh, which was, by the way, crossed with German wire haired pointers. So they have very good taste in that as well. You know, the breed started way back in Magyar tribes over a thousand years ago. They they were originally intended to help falconers, but they've been expanded in their job description to do just about anything as a pointer and retriever. They'll also retrieve in water as all versatile dogs are expected to. So if you want to look for a kind of a slightly different versatile hunting dog, the Vishla is the one for you. Hey, thanks. If you responded to my question on the Facebook pages a, a few days back, I asked if you're going someplace new this season. That's been kind of my mission for the last three or four years. Uh, uh, been to new spots in states I've I've always hunted, but uh, you know, trying to avoid the places that I stop at all the time and explore a little bit more. Uh, still on my list, of course, uh, more in Nevada. I'm headed for Southwest Idaho this year for the first time in a long time. Looking forward to that. Uh, but uh, where are you going? <laughs> Greg Shea invites me to join him in Los Angeles. No thanks, Greg. Spent 15 years there. That was about 14 and a half too many. Linda Syke is moving to North Dakota. Hey, good for you and good luck. You might check out the... Um, the Dickinson and Mott area, but you're also, it looks like moving to the Carson area. So um, good luck there. Be safe and uh, hope the move, the move goes well. Kurt Deary is going to explore the Northeast Kingdom. Don't you love that area? I have uh, hunted grouse and woodcock up there and it looks like you're looking forward to the same thing in Vermont. Check out that Pittsburgh area in uh, New Hampshire while you're up that way. Joe Stevens is going to hunt the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Uh, yeah, you got to talk a little funny when you're up there, though, don't you, eh? So have a good time and uh, let us know how you do. And uh, Miles Burdett, <laughs> love it. Uh, I moved about 15 miles east, he said. I used to drive way past this close-in area. This season, I'll try it a little bit here and there. So well, good luck on that. Uh, thank you, Robert Powell, for your invitation. I won't be making it to Maine this year, but maybe a rain check. And Jeff Braun, I will see you in Montana in September. Everybody else, uh, you know, make your list. Check it twice. Let us know how you're doing. I don't care about the latitude and the longitude. We don't need that. But you know, if you don't share this stuff, maybe you won't be committed enough to actually execute your big plan. So here's your invitation. Come on along and tell us where you're going. But do not tell me where to go, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, you know, it's been a wonderful whirlwind of a day with Eric in the studio. I sure appreciate that, Eric. Thank you for coming all the way over the mountains to visit with me and everybody else. Thanks to all of you who commented at the social media platforms, those who left ratings and reviews. Yeah, that is how people find out about us. They look for the five-star ratings, and then they go listen, and they're part of the Upland Nation. Boom, just like that. 
And as I've said before, this whole kit and caboodle is made possible by our sponsors, Roughland Performance Kennels, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, and Ringneck Nation. That's here on South Dakota. See you there this fall. And until then, I'll see you next week right here. Thanks again. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you.